Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. We've been in a series entitled The Binding, and uh, this has been in reference to uh, a rebinding, actually, of a Bible uh, that I had for many years. And we've been using this in part as an illustration of us as a church, how there are certain things that we are retaining in this time of change in this next year of time, while we also are reconnecting and and, uh, having fresh things as well. So the first four parts of this are things that we've said that we're not going to let go of. They've always been part of us, and we're not releasing them no matter what. First one had to do with Christ, his work on the cross, and then his very character. Second part had to do with the idea that, that once we understand that character and that work on the cross, and there's transformation or change that happens, and that we should be in the process of always changing or being transformed. That we are then also placed into community with one another. That then we also are to do all things for God's glory. The very actions we do are never to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to God and for His glory. And so humility is part of that. The last four, of which today is the final one, um, have to do with things that have always been a part of Christianity and those who have worshipped God for millennia, but have been challenged increasingly in how they are defined today or how they are embraced The first one dealt with truth, the idea that today it's increasingly viewed as subjective, but we hold to the idea of an objective truth found both in God and in His Word. That um, there's a question increasing about marriage and gender, but we embrace, because of the Scriptures uh, and other truths beyond that even, the idea of marriage between a man and a woman, of a binary sense of gender. We talked then last week about the least of these, that was a strongly pro-life statement, and not just about abortion, but that we embrace life across uh, a whole spectrum and find it to be valuable, unique, made in the image of God. And today in this final one, I want to talk to you about coming home. Now, I want to present to you a a brief clip. This clip is something that that emotionally grabs me a lot, and I, I, I want to try to use it to set up the conversation we're going to have going forward. In November of 1965 was the first real significant battle in the Vietnam War that involved Americans. Being one of the first in the modern era of combat, modern era of combat, um, the army was not equipped yet for the way that people could learn through the media immediately about the death of their loved ones. And so their method of notification, was referred to as a death notification, uh, had not been really worked out. So what they ended up doing were just having telegrams sent from the war office and then delivered by cab drivers. So the cab drivers would go on the base and then deliver it. So every time one of these women during while this battle was going on for days, a cab would come up and they'd see someone get out and come up to their door. They knew that it was the, a, the death of a loved one. It was a very clumsy process and it got changed later. Um, and interestingly enough, it's now where an officer of superior rank to whoever fell 
and a chaplain generally, someone who can provide some spiritual insight, a chaplain accompanies them from now on. But that was not the way it was here. And so this is a true story. And Colonel Moore was the commander of the unit, and it's his wife who we see in this scene here. Moore's wife? Yes. I need help finding an address. Do you know what this is? Do you know what you just did to me? I, I don't like this job, ma'am trying to do it. Wait. Wait. I'll take it to her. That scene I want frozen in your mind there is the telegram transfers from this man who does not know who he's talking to to a woman who would have known every single one of those women intimately uh, and in a personal way. Why does this get me so emotional? A lot of times I think because I identify with a cab driver. Um, I don't have personal relationship with everyone in this room or with those who will be hearing this by podcast. There are subjects that we deal with that are difficult subjects as we've seen the last couple of weeks' time. I don't approach those with any sense of arrogance or uh, superiority. A lot of times I feel exactly like the guy there, you know, I don't like this job, ma'am. I'm just trying to do it. I'm trying to be faithful to what we see in Scripture and to what uh, God suckered me and drew me into uh, <laughs> years ago. And so to that end... Um, it catches me. There's another part of that that, if I recall, we'll come back to at the end that I want to highlight uh, for you. But on this final session that we're gathering here in this series, it may seem up front like what I'm delivering into your hand is a telegram of death. In fact, that's the very first thing that's really discussed in the whole process of things that started this whole thing rolling. Romans 3.23, and we're going to go down a little bit of a road, and for some of you that don't know this one, it's referred to as the Romans Road, and you can yourself access this road very easily. Just tap it in somewhere, Romans Road, and you can pull up most of these scriptures. There'll be a few additional. And for those of you who are very familiar with this and are about to drift off, I would ask that you not do that and engage, because there's a role for you in this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everybody that ever lived, ever will live, 
currently is now living, the person who you think is the greatest, the brightest, the best, insert name here, has sinned from the Pope to Kanye West. (laughs) Who may be hanging out together right now? I don't know. (laughs) And so all of us have sinned. It doesn't matter who is the most sainted person and example in your reality or where you view yourself in the midst of this. All of us have sinned. All of us has fallen short. All of us are, if you will, unacceptable to God by virtue of what lies within our own very nature. We're not sinners because of our sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of who we are. Romans 6.23 spells it out even more darkly as this telegram actually enters into our hands to proclaim not the death of a loved one, but the death of ourselves. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But the wages of sin is death. So all of us have sinned and all of us are going to die as a result of that. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? This is a great message. I'm going to walk out of here so lifted up. I'm a sinner and I'm going to die. But that is one of the primary messages of the gospel. Thank God it's not the only message of the gospel. But it begins there and you have to start there with a baseline understanding that we've all sinned. With a baseline understanding that, that death is a result of that. It's not until you really embrace those two passages of Scripture that you understand the seriousness of your condition, that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to believe. It's not until you embrace that moment and let it literally break you that you can then receive the next portion of the Scripture and what's to go beyond. I was in a conversation recently with elders and we were discussing different things of a certain nature and certain people's names were being raised up and, and one person referenced, well, this person is still struggling so much about just how God is in His grace towards them and, and the implications, they were still struggling in their brokenness and I said, you know what? I would still rather have a person broken in a position of leadership than a person who doesn't understand brokenness at all. And everyone in the room agreed to that. When we say brokenness, we're not sitting here and saying, oh, I'm damaged and I can't function anymore. We're saying that we've come into a realization of these scriptures that without the grace of God, we're dead. But the passage goes on and says, but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. While we're still in the twisted thing, what what Kristen said earlier, you know, that baby does nothing to deserve the love and affection. I was talking to one of our people after first service who had just had children. I didn't realize that she'd actually had twins. And so here's the one and the other one's coming in from the other side. I'm like, oh my goodness. But the love that's there, immediately nothing to be done. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This message of death begins to turn into something different of hope. And it says in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you declare it, and it says Jesus is Lord, not not your best friend, not your little buddy, not the one that is your therapist that makes you feel good at night. Not someone who, as one, one um, uh, popular figure said, uh, you know, I sin and Jesus still loves me. It's washed away daily. I do whatever I want. But that we recognize that Jesus is Lord, which means master. 
which means, yes, he is my father. Yes, he is my friend. Yes, he is my savior. He is the one who does cleanse my sin daily, but he's also my master, which means that I am to be in obedience to him. So that means if he says this is wrong, I'm not to take part in that. And if I do, that I'm to break away and come back and ask for forgiveness and try one more time to stop that element. So one of the things I challenge you today is, Jesus, your friend and your buddy, or is he your Lord and master? Do you seek to understand what he's saying about your life and what areas need to change? Because all of us need to be changed constantly into the image of Christ. When I find myself becoming more edgy and angry and irritable, I realize I'm moving further away from Christ. When I find myself becoming more loving, more tolerant, more caring, then I'm moving closer. Is he your master? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. That you're saved. Romans 10, 13 says, everybody, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter ethnicity, doesn't matter social class, nationality, finances, none of that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who does will be saved. John 3, 16, every football game you've ever been at. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, we say it so quickly, we forget the depth of this. For God so, so loved this world. You, me. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, we which were rejected are now actually accepted by God. The, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever possibly dared hope. We know that there is an evil in the world. We know that there's an ugliness to the world. We know there's a twistedness to the world. Many of you are aware of my um, lack of affection for felines. I've been open about this. Came into my office a day or so ago after not being in there for a day as I was off studying. I find on my chair... Someone had put together one of these little things that has your nameplate and your title, only all this says is, ask me about my cats. <laughs> we know that evil exists in the world. We know there are twisted people with sick minds. We know that there's a, an ugliness, if you will. And how great that would be if it was just other people like this one. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who suffered through the Soviet gulag, and in his pain and suffering came to such a depth of understanding, said evil is a line that, that crosses through the heart of every man. How great it would be if we could just point it out here and there, but it crosses through the heart of every man. And so all of us stand condemned, all of us stand rejected, if you will, by God. But he so loves the world that he makes provision through Christ Jesus to draw us in so that we could be accepted once again. We're sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
not our works, not our actions, but by faith, by our brokenness, our repentance, our acceptance of his grace, and by faith in his action and his love, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We don't boast in anything of ourselves. We're not arrogant in anything we've achieved or accomplished. We've achieved nothing other than becoming aware and receiving the telegram of death that opened our eyes into the need for salvation that ultimately gave us life through Jesus Christ. We were rejected. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands this morning. I think it would be a flood across the room of how many of us have ever had a sense of rejection or have suffered through rejection. I'm just going to ask you this question and you can respond with your eyes. Just kind of widen them a bit if you're involved with this at all. Have you ever at any point in your life or time been rejected? A lot of twitches going on right now. We all have at one level or another. There was a, a couple of of, of rejection letters that were posted recently. Sub Pop, it's an independent record label in Seattle, sent the following rejection letter. Dear loser, <laughs> thank you for sending your demo materials. People would have written music and songs, and that's like pouring out your soul if you're a musician. Thank you for sending your demo materials to Sun Pop for consideration. Presently, your demo package is one of a massive quantity of material we receive every day at World Headquarters. Your material's on its way. Catch this and follow what it's saying. It's on its way through the great lower intestines that is the talent acquisitions process. We appreciate your interest and wish the best in your pursuit. In other words, it's, yeah, anyways. Kind regards, this letter is known as a rejection letter, P.S. This one I like better, though. New Delta Review, a literary magazine in Baton Rouge, sent the following rejection letter. So someone wrote out their heart's stuff. Thank you for submitting. Unfortunately, the work you sent is quite terrible. Please forgive the form rejection, but it would take too much of my time to tell you exactly how terrible it was. So again, sorry for the form letter. Dreams crushed, people tossed out. All of us have felt rejection at one time or another. The term reject means throw away, cast away. Something that is cast aside is unsatisfactory. A person considered low quality and worthless. There's not a person in this room and on this planet that at one time or another has not experienced. Maybe it's been said as, you're fired. Maybe it's someone who said, just want to be friends. Maybe it was somebody who said, this marriage is over. Maybe it's a parent whose child walks away without even looking back and cuts off that relationship and severs it. Maybe it is a piece of art or music or writing that you prepare or in the, the very part of your heart and your soul is poured out and someone spits on it and disdains it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's going through elementary school all the way up to your fifth grade only writing in pencil. And then when you're in fifth grade, they teach you cursive writing. And for everyone that can actually learn cursive writing and good penmanship, not just penmanship, not just cursive, but good penmanship, that if you learn that, you'll be awarded a pen. For the first time in your life, you'll be given a pen and you'll graduate to that next level. And only one of you in the entire classroom never gets that pen. Okay, this, this is getting too personal now. Okay, we have to back up. Just I, I write in pen, but I print, <laughs> okay? And no one can still read it. 
We all have different stories and levels of rejection. For me, growing up, we moved all the time when I was a kid. So I had my entire life was defined by working into a new group of people and, and meeting new people and always being the outsider in that. That was my identity. Went away to college, didn't get any better. While I was gone, my parents moved. They didn't tell me where. Uh, <laughs> came back and kind of cast it about, and this was pre-Google days, so it was tough. No, they told me where, but... But then for the last 35 plus years, I've been in one place, and I realized a couple of years back that the story that was so much a part of my life of, of, of being an outsider rejection was not that true anymore. That I've been part of a community, and it, it's a different sense, and so it changed my narrative. But for a lot of us, we still live in that narrative of rejection, that narrative of loss, that narrative of brokenness and death. Some of us are a little bit like the one writer of this one song in, in, in a recent popular uh, musical that says this, I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. Just because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. So we hide that part inside, not just from others, but from God we feel sometimes, thinking there's no way he would understand even. But Robert Frost has a word of wisdom in this moment. One of my favorite of his lines says, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. I love that. That defines home. Where you go, they have to take you in. And the church is home. It's a place that we come to with our rejection, with our hurt, with all the other brokenness that we have. And it's a place where they have to take you in. And we can recognize that on one level, but we can say, how can I identify though with a God who is that holy and that awesome and, and all these other passages, whatever provision he's made, does he understand me and my brokenness? And I say to you, yes, he does. And how do I know that? Because when he's on that cross in those critical last moments of time, he doesn't just utter in despair, he quotes Psalms to express what is happening in that moment of time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not a rhetorical question. In that moment of time, the son had somehow become separated from the father and the spirit in a way of rejection and carrying all the rejection that you and I ever had, all the sin we ever had, that, that, that did something of an incredible supernatural separation of some type that we can't even begin to comprehend, the depth of which we cannot even begin to think of. If a friend of mine in this gathering walks away from me, it hurts me. I feel that personally. But if my wife of 35 years decides that she's done with me, that is a much deeper level of loss. The deeper the love, the deeper the relationship, the greater the loss. The Father and the Son and the Spirit in a depth of love and profoundness that we can't even begin to comprehend. And somehow the Son bearing the sins of you and me, all the rejection in the entire world is somehow separating that moment of time and that rejection in that moment. My God, my God. He knew why. He was quoting scripture as believers often do in those moments of devastation and difficulty. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be 
The telegram of death that was replaced in our hands is replaced instead with a statement of hope, of grace, of provision, of acceptance. One of the greatest short stories that's ever been written is a parable that Jesus referenced. Most of you know it really well. The story of this, this kid, one of two sons of this father, and the kid wants to go off and experience life, and he's had it fairly safe and secure. It sounds like he's had the best of anything there. And, and so he asks the father for his inheritance, and the father gives it to him, which in that time period would have been akin to saying, I, I wish you were dead and I had it now. But the father facilitates it. And so the, the scripture says that this son went off to a far country, another place as a distant country. Either way, it was a ways away. And there he begins to spend all the stuff and to blow everything, and he has wild parties, and he's the toast of the town. He's accepted by everyone until the money runs out, and then he's rejected by everybody. You want to know who your close friends are? Look around when you blew it. If there's someone still standing there with you, they're probably a good friend. But he had none. He's in a far country. No one knows him. No one knows his father. He's destitute. In the midst of that, somewhere, something stirs in his mind. And he realizes, you know, if I were just to get back with my dad, even just as a serving guy, they had it better. I'm not stupid enough to think I could ever get back into graces again or be accepted by my father for what I've done. It was unforgivable. I get that. But if I could just be one of the serving guys, at least I can eat. And so he begins the journey back home. And it's caught me recently as I was talking to some of our youth this, this caught me. When, when he left his home, he would have never understood what rejection was like, probably. He had everything he could have asked for. For the first time now, he's dealing with hardcore rejection. It must have shattered his world to think that somehow he could be possibly unlovable or possibly have some issues of some type. But it catches me as well, too, that, that when he left, he was flush with cash. Wherever he went to, whatever far country, whatever journey it was, he went in style. He went first class. And it was probably a pretty quick trip. He could facilitate it. The fastest camels, the fastest boat, whatever the case may be. First class, quick trip to the far country. But now he's broken and he's destitute. He's got nothing. No first class, no second, no third class. Can't even get on the boat. So what's he doing now? He's walking back. He's walking. It's a quick journey to the far country, folks. It's a slow walk back. And it can take some time. But what's important is what direction is your face turned towards? I imagined in this conversation one prodigal rushing by on the, on the fast line to the far country, his face that direction. This prodigal broken and aware of his needs, turning and coming back to the Father in that slow walk back. And at one point in time, possibly they even cross paths just for a second in their journey. And, and maybe they even commit the exact same sin at the same time. Because this one's still struggling with what it means. And, and this one is oblivious, doesn't even care. But the difference is with his face turned this way and his face turned this way, this one doesn't even realize he sinned or doesn't care one bit. Same sin, doesn't care, doesn't even recognize it, and continues on in a desolation. 
But this one, with his face turned towards home, that sin weighs on him. That failure hits him, digs into his soul, shatters him. And he carries that thing as he continues to journey back, more ever aware of his brokenness. Which way is your face turned today? Is it towards a far country or is it turned towards home? You can sin the same as someone else and don't you dare condemn them because if your face is turned towards there, you're the one condemned. But if your face is turned towards there and towards home, then even as you sin, you pick up and you walk on. Christ knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it meant. There is nothing quite like Scripture. So this morning, for those of you not familiar with the story, please permit me. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to those fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He was rejected on the deepest level. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring that fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. There's more to the story, but I'm going to stop there for this moment. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The telegram originally reads... You're going to die, and there's nothing you can do about it. But Jesus changes the story. He says you were dead, but he can make you alive again. You were rejected, but you're accepted by me. You are lost, but I have found you. And if you'll confess, if you'll recognize that, if you'll be broken by it, if you'll die literally in that moment of time, I will bring you to life. Your journey may be long, but if you turn your face back towards home, there is acceptance there. Why? Because Jesus took all of our rejection, 
all of our pain on him. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He took all the rejection, all the loss, everything that you or I ever experienced and put it on himself. Isaiah goes on in that same chapter. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord, the Lord, our our master, our creator, our father, he's laid on himself the iniquity of us all. This morning, in this final gathering point in this series, we say to you our commitment to reaching lost people. Why? Because we're such self-righteous, superioristic pigs No, because we are broken people, rejected, lost, damaged. But God afforded us grace. And as affording of us grace, we desperately want to share that with others. And so this morning hour, if you're here in this place, you've never made an acceptance of Christ. You've never recognized that. This morning... I urge you that you consider your condition. I don't like the part of the job that hands the telegram of death into your hands. I don't like it. But where it translates and transforms into hope and to grace and to acceptance and restoration, yes. That message is now in your hands. How will you respond this morning? How will you respond? Do you hear, even now, in the quietness of this moment, in the stillness of this time, as you struggle with whatever it is you struggle with, do you hear God's message to you and what He's saying, even now? in just this moment of quiet. I was there the moment that it happened But you couldn't see me through the pain Every tear as they were falling when you lost your heart that day. You lost your heart that day. Now you only see through broken lenses. Trying to keep your head above the shade.
moments. You are defined by what I see. take of communion. Our community is an open community. You don't need to be a member of this congregation. But to receive it, you do need to be a follower of Christ. If, if you choose after everything we've talked about today, to still reject that, that's your choice. But then let this pass you by. But if this morning there's been something that has whispered to your own heart and mind, and for the first time perhaps you are recognizing that you hold death in your hands, but God is offering you life today, and you accept and receive that today, then join us. Let your decision, let the act of that decision be to receive communion today. If you're someone who has let the rejections of the past or, or the offenses of the past or other failings and, and sins that you've acknowledged in your brokenness as you've turned towards home to slow that walk back, but this morning you realize that you're accepted, that you are welcome, that you are wanted, then take of communion today. Take of this symbol that represents Christ's sacrifice for you and for me so that we can be free, so that we walk in grace with a full acceptance of our Creator. The only way we would ask is that everyone would hold it and we'll take of it together. So just take it, hold on to it. Whichever your decision to receive or to not do so. That's your call. That always has been. Me. I just love the message. So, Father, as we go into this time of consideration and reflection that is an incredibly holy moment, God, I pray that you would stir hearts and minds 
into decision, into resolving any conflict they have with you, into moving into a deeper obedience and following you. For those who are faithfully, consistently following, that it'd be a time of celebration and even deeper devotion. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us and walk through these seating areas right now in Jesus' name. Amen. hours before Jesus was to utter those words of desolation and rejection bearing all of us. 
he gathered with his disciples. In the gathering, he broke a piece of bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. I'll be honest, the people I trust most are broken people. Ones who understand what they've been given. So Lord, we come before you today as your people. Lord, you have granted us grace. And in a sinful world that we still even ourselves contribute to on occasions and in our own brokenness, you, you were broken so that we could be healed and restored. And it may be a long journey and it may take us time in this process, Lord, but your Holy Spirit walks with us as our faces turn towards home. And we know how we are received not only along the way, but ultimately when we receive there. So God, this morning we thank you for your brokenness that has healed ours. In Jesus' name, amen, shall we receive. Then took a cup and he filled it with wine, very conscious of the fact that without a blood sacrifice, without death, there can be no remission, there can be no forgiveness for sins. So in a foreshadowing of his own action, he said, this is my blood shed for you. With this, you are free. With this, you're accepted. With this, grace is extended to cover all your sin. Never, ever forget the cost of your freedom and acceptance. Treat it highly. So this morning, we come before you and we thank you for this provision that frees us and grants us grace. And Lord, we pray that you give us the wisdom, the strength, the courage to extend that grace to others around us in the same portion that you extended it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we? It took me a number of years to realize that my story had been rewritten from someone who had been on the outside and always constantly changing to a place of stability with long-term relationships and friendships. It took a while for me to accept and understand my narrative had changed. And it may be the same for you. But here's the thing I want to offer to you. Um, what you transpired here today in the privacy of your moment, whatever transacted between you and God is that moment between you and God and that is holy. But there's a time to publicly confess those things and that's at baptism. And if you've never been baptized before, even if you've been serving for years, I would encourage you. We're going to be having baptism on Thanksgiving weekend. That'll be an opportunity for you. There'll be another one at Good Friday. But be baptized. Proclaim your faith publicly. It's not meant to be kept by itself quietly alone. Um, next week, we'll be having Ryan uh, Halls here, another friend of ours actually from the same church where our friends are at and part of our fellowship. But here's the last thing I want to share with you before we leave. So I'd come back to it. There's an image maybe we'll throw on the screen. It's not a great image. It's a snapshot from, ah, they refined it. It's much better now. That moment I wanted to have in your mind, and it occurred to me in the second service even more deeply so. What happens is she takes the telegram and she says, we'll deliver them from now on. And so her and her friend go to women they know intimately. They're the ones there sharing what's going on. They take the burden. He's no longer the deliverer. I can communicate like this 
And there are those of you that may hear this, and by God's grace you receive, but I won't have a personal relationship with you. The depth to where that can go is limited. But you who are believers, you who are conveyors of grace, you have relationships. You have people that you know. You know exactly how to share with them this message, how to talk to them about grace, how to engage them. So guys, this is the handoff. It's in your hands now. Who is it that God is prompting you to share grace with, to share this message of acceptance, of death, yes, but also of life and of hope? It's in your hands. I'm not disengaging. I'm not saying, hey, I'm out of this. Okay, I'm still here. But there's people you're going to interact with and I never will. And they'll trust you in a way they never will me. That's about it. There'll be those up front here to pray if you want to come forward for prayer. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you so much for your grace. I can't, we can't even just say enough. I ask, Lord, that you'd empower every individual in this room who's committed to you, not just as best friend, but as Lord and Master, and that they would be conduits of your grace to a world that deeply needs this message of acceptance and provision and grace. Empower them, Lord. Encourage them. Strengthen them. And Lord, for everyone who's on that journey home, for everyone whose face is turned home, even when they stumble and fall, Lord, pick them up, encourage them, and bring them home safely, I pray. Yes, God. We thank you, for it's in your name that we are gathered. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the church said, Amen. Amen. It's a good word.